Welcome to the Evolution Exchange NHS podcast. At Evolution NHS, we are committed to helping people and NHS organisations realise their potential. Our goal is to develop deep relationships with individuals and build in trust to make doing business easier. We collaborate with NHS organisations to help them build high-performing digital teams. We achieve this by curating and sharing insights into the ever-evolving NHS and digital industries best practices. I am Carrigan from Evolution Recruitment and today I'm your host. The views expressed by guests are their own and do not necessarily reflect official position or policies within their organisation. To start, I think we'll go with introductions of everyone involved today. If we could come to you first, John, please. Hi, Carrigan. Uh, I'm John Atwood. I'm a programme and project manager with over 20 years experience within the NHS, within uh, secondary and higher education and within community development. So uh, a broad range of experiences that I've had in my past. Perfect. Thanks for joining us today, John. And then next on, we will go over to yourself, Jackie. Thanks, Carrigan. Um, so I'm Jackie Allen Free. Um, again, like John, uh, I'm not going to say 20 plus years, um, vast experience both in NHS and uh, private ha- private sector um, as a programme director. Thank you very much. And coming over to yourself next, Steve, please. Hi, Carrigan. I'm Steve Choker. Um, I'm around 20 years worth of uh, NHS and commercial experience and specifically in data and performance and uh, all things BI related. So, um, yeah, very much, uh, very stitched into all things related to data within the EPR migrations. Thank you so much. Um, next, we'll come to yourself, Kim. Hey, Carrigan. My name's Kim Karam. I have about, I think, about 10 years worth of experience with the NHS with EPR projects, general IT projects, network stuff, uh, telephony upgrades, this kind of thing. Amazing. Thank you so much. And come into yourself next, Bev. Uh, thanks, Carrigan. Uh, my name is Bev Reed McPherson. Uh, I'm an NHS project management consultant. I've worked in the NHS for over 12 years, and I mostly consult on a variety of projects, um, which ranges from writing business cases through to project closure. Thank you. Thank you so much. And Charlotte, if we can come to you next, please. Thanks, Carrigan. Um, I'm Charlotte English. I've been um, a digital uh, project manager for the last sort of four plus years. Um, and then previous to that, uh, 14 odd years um, doing NHS um, work, mainly ops management roles, um, but some consultancy as well. Perfect. Thank you so much. And then coming over to yourself, Melissa, for us, please. Yes, I'm Melissa Freeman. I'm a project manager with extensive um, experience, mainly in test management and project management. I started my career with Accenture, worked in many private corporate organizations, including Cerny, Goldman Sachs and Coca-Cola, then also done a lot of healthcare work with the NHS and private sector, mainly Ramsey Healthcare. Um, here I'm working mainly as an EPR lead for testing and different work streams. Amazing. Thank you so much. And then last but definitely not least, um, coming over to yourself, please, Louise. Good morning, Carrigan, um, and good morning, everyone on the call. Uh, my name's Louise Davies. Um, I'm currently working on a, on an EPR um, programme at the moment um, and supporting um, a very large programme um, of project managers, my programme manager and um, business analysts within the team. Um, I've been a project manager for over seven years and worked on many programmes, uh, reduced reoffending work routes and community engagement programmes. Um, I've also previously worked in the defence sector for a total of around nine years. Um, my background is obviously to be in, you know, 100% accurate um, in the information that I'm delivering um, and communicating as well. 
Um, after completion of this, I joined the um, GERFT programme, which is the Getting It Right First Time programme as a business intelligence project manager. This was to reduce unwarranted variation across multiple work streams and a joint venture between NHS England and NHS Improvement. Um, it's here where I discovered a new passion in helping our NHS as an organisation. Um, I felt at home with a newfound you know, responsibility to support various programmes within the NHS. Um, and upon following GERFT, I joined um, NHS Hampshire, Southampton and Isle of Wight for the Clinical Commissioning Group. Um, I went on to support and help um, a digital transformation programme at um, NHS Bristol, South Gloucestershire and North Somerset. Um, and obviously following completion of this programme, I joined the EPR programme um, to support my programme manager, several project managers and business analysts. Amazing. Thank you so much, Louise. Um, and thank you everyone for your introductions. I think it's a good idea to just jump straight into understanding the, the team we've got with us today. So I'm going to come straight over to yourself, Jackie. As a programme director for an EPR, what is the key aspect for you? Um, well, I guess for me, it, I'll go off, off script here a little bit probably than one, the one that I wrote. I think the camaraderie, you know, you, you've seen it today in terms of the teamwork, supporting each other, um making sure that it sleeves rolled up with me you know any one of us can jump in and support each other um where we need to to make sure that we de deliver the best um program and i guess it's always making sure that we 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 look forward in terms of supporting each other and supporting the organizations that we work to, but do be, ultimately we are accountable to make sure it's the right thing and keeping everything on check. Mm. So uh, the book stops with us. We work with a lot of sub substantive NHS organizations and, you know, we all know the NHS is, is struggling in terms of headcounts and things like that. So the team that we put together and that we work with make sure that we take the bulk of the work away where possible um, because we have done this a number of times so it's almost copy paste repeat so some of the trusts that we work with have never done it before so we are sometimes the experts in what we're trying to do um, trying to get that over to substantive staff might come a little big be a bit sorry be a bit big-headed because we have done it before but actually we've got the bruises and the war wounds of having done it before. So we are best placed sometimes to advise each other. Um, I think a team around you that provides strength, knowing that you've got each other's backs helps. Um, you know, um, to, to make sure you've got the right team, I often get asked, what does a team look like? And it's not just project managers. You know, you've got your, your business analysts, you've got your business change, you've got your data, your testing, your training, your developers. Um, and you've got not just the team that you bring in through your business case, but you've got your existing team uh, and to work in a unified manner that absolutely gels together. I'm really fortunate that I've had that over the years um, and had some really good successful projects. So I guess I go back to the question is what's the key aspect for you is teamwork, good relationships, trusting each other and trusting the expertise that you bring in as well. That's perfect. Thank you so much, Jackie. Um, I think moving on to that to understand a little bit more, if we come to yourself, Bev, um, as we look into business analyst change benefits lead, why do you need business analyst change benefits lead in an EPR team? Hey, uh, 
Business change analysts uh, promote the adoption of change that an EPR program can bring. And the analyst supports looking at how we do things now and what we will do in the future, or in effect, what the future will look like. Uh, the BCAs are quite important to the program because they, are, they start at the front end in understanding the user's requirements. Uh, for that, they need to glean as much information out of the out of the stakeholders to ensure any system that we're building meets the end user's requirements. Perfect. Thank you so much. And then if we go into a bit on standard, a more different side of things, if we can come to yourself, Louise, and can I ask you what a skill for a good admin person would require? The um, obviously one of the most um, one of the most important skills for uh, you know a good support and administration individual um, joining our program as as large as this um, is, is your patience. Um, and it's also a balancing act between the support person um, within an EPR, um, especially given the volume of project managers and business analysts, etc., that I support. Um, and obviously many individuals within the organization itself. Um, there are many competing needs and therefore, you know, in the wake of, of teams, I, I don't have to be present at every meeting. You know, I can simply pick up the recording and produce the outputs. Um, and I'm trusted with that responsibility, which gives me, um, which I feel great value um, and appreciation for that. Um, I schedule, obviously, all of the meetings within digital diaries. And again, this makes life, uh, you know, a lot easier for, for individuals as well. So obviously taking those tasks and being really um being really accurate with with you know an understanding of everyone's availability as well um as there are you know clinical um pressures and clinical tasks in the, as well um so one of my biggest challenges is obviously the the maintenance um of of such you know large scale um documentation and i am actually you know the, the gatekeeper to all of that documentation and ensuring that you know it's it's full assurance to the board on the on the governance of the program um, making sure I'm engaging with stakeholders um, on, on plans, minutes, gateway reviews. Um, there's a lot of patient journey plans that are all in place and up to date. Um, for that program, assurance and compliance is, is a huge important factor for me. Um, and when we say minutes, it may be obviously, you know, a, a script of what the previous conversation was. But to me, that is incredibly important because that is your traceability, that's your documentation. You know that's your sign off of effectively a true representation of the previous discussions or you know there could be really important decisions in there really pressing actions that need to be done and and you know um planning forward planning as well so um it's incredibly important for me to keep all of that up to date and also um for traceability and making sure it's localized as well um up to date localized and the right people are informed where this information is at all times it's incredibly important. Thank you. Perfect. Thank you so much, Louise. It's Thank really you. helpful insight. Um, I think as we go on to the next, we've got Melissa, John, Kim, Charlotte, you're all project managers in various forms. If um, we can just speak to each of you to understand, if we start with yourself, John, can I ask what the single most integral part is that what you play as a PM? Yeah, when you wander into a new uh, project, you, you don't know the subject matter very often. And what you need to do is immerse yourself within that subject matter and begin to understand the parameters around how that's going to affect how you drive that particular part that you're working with. Um, for me, as I'm gaining an understanding, I'll be asking lots and lots of questions, not trying to make assumptions, 
and with that too, thinking where are the risks in all of this for the project. So as I'm understanding more and more about the uh, the subject that I, I'm, I'm managing, I, I'm making those sort of storing those mental things away to be used at a different time because I'm going to have to report back to uh, program boards and I need to do that knowledgeably and not make a fool of either my module or myself when I'm doing that. So therefore gaining uh, an early understanding is key for me in what I'm trying to achieve. Thank you so much, John. And coming over to yourself, please, Charlotte. Um, so for me, usually kind of managing multiple sort of work streams at any one time. So in order for me to be a good uh, digital project manager, if you like, I'm kind of making sure that linking regularly with my SMEs who are sort of my my experts for each of the work streams I'm looking after, making sure their input into the uh, overarching project plans, um, if we've got a risk to delivery, kind of raising that in a timely fashion and what my trajectory now looks like. Um, so making sure the project documentation um, is kind of current and up to date. Um, is kind of key in order for us to be able to highlight yeah we're on track and we're green or no actually we've got a real risk here and and what are we going to do to sort of mitigate it so i think they're sort of key for for, for myself managing those work streams amazing thank you so much charlotte and then following on from that if we can come to yourself please kim for me it's being an influencer and being able to get buy-in from the people that you're working with and selling the benefits of what you're doing uh, because if you're met with challenging timelines to deliver or there's resource challenges or both in many cases being the person that can bring it together is often the key to keeping the team on track and everyone working together to achieve the same end goal so i think that's, that's what it's for me that's great thank you so much kim and then following on from that if we can come to yourself please melissa yes i think um when you come into a program like this so any epr program the first thing that we often find is that the structure of the trust itself um, and navigating through that is very difficult. And that's why it's very important to go in and have a team view of how to navigate in that journey. So for example, where, where we're all working at the moment, there is a certain landscape. When we came there, there was a need to restructure that landscape. And the three skills that are really needed for that is one is kindness. It's very important to be kind to the people you're working with. They're all under normal business as usual pressures. And then suddenly they've got this additional pressure of a large scale EPR probe. And the second thing is listening. Um, very important to have two ears and, and one mouth and listen to what your uh, subject matter experts are telling you because they will, they are leading the program from the back end telling you what's going on. Um, and the third thing is, is really to communicate everything that you hear and that you restructure back to the team so that we can implement the change. So there's that cycle that goes on. In terms of skills that are required for the job, you've got to be able to multitask, be flexible. Um, and that quickly, you have to move at speed and, and communication is really how we do that. Obviously having the piece you'd be able to work remotely and use MS Teams and all these different tools that you've now got have made these kind of programs actually work much more effectively rather than having to have people on site waiting for a meeting. Actually, um, I think these programs will now move at a faster pace as a result. Amazing. Thank you so much. I think it's a massive part of it that you all definitely sound like you work extremely well together as a team. Well, I hope so. Uh, we, we, we live and breathe the, the programme together and uh, we've spent a number of uh, years together now. I think um, 
you know, it goes back to what I said earlier that, you know, we all work to the same language as well, um, implementation, stabilization and optimization. And I think, you know, we've talked through some of what the team do in terms of data, testing, training, our back, you know, nursing web modules, all the rest of it. The, len the level of knowledge, I think, that the team hold um, is extensive beyond belief. Um, it's far more than a trust realizes when they embark on an EPR. So I think even when you've got an EPR in its business case format, um, you know, trying to understand what all of that entails is no mean feat. So you often get a business case written in-house with, with, you know, people who think they know how an EPR should look, should, should be built, should be written. Um, the reality of that sometimes is we've missed out items. We've, we've not got the money that we needed and we've not got the resource. You know, so we often go into trusts where the, the resource is missing because it wasn't it wasn't put in the business case. Um, and I think, you know, if anybody's going to embark on an EPR, they should at least get some advice from people who've done it before, whether it be contacting another trust um, and using that skill set or using people like the team with, you know, Melissa, Kim, Charlotte, et cetera. Um, using people like us to give that advice and guidance and do the connecting. You know, we often, or I often, um, connect trust to each other just so that they can do lessons learned and things like that. I think something else that we also um, often miss is the governance wraparound. You know, we talk, um, we talked to Louise about doing the support for all of us and, and having a really good admin support is, is a godsend. The amount of times when you do you know multiple projects so you know if you look at what kim's doing at the minute i'm going to talk for you a minute kim and so you've got five work streams charlotte's got five or six with clinical safety in there having somebody like louise support them is massive because they take away some of the pressures of having to write up the minutes and then go and having to produce them for the next one etc etc in the, the world that we live in with the digital era, Louise doesn't have to always be at their meeting. She just picks up the recording, transcribes it, and then hands it back and asks them to say that. And so it's dead simple. But she also applies a governance for us as well. So, you know, we get audited. Um, and to be able to just open your door and say, come and have a look at what you want, you know, no, nothing's hidden, again, is, is no mean feat. Because when you go into cut over or have to hand things over to NHSE to do that level of assurance ready for your go live to have all that information done and cross-checked and matrixed I think is key and especially when you bring in a cut over manager that the, the first thing they're going to look at is have you got your data migration plan have you got your dress rehearsal have you done all your testing um, have you done all your UATs and every other word Melissa will use for testing um, and to be able to say yes, yes, and yes is unique. Um, and I really look at that with the team that you've just talked to, we have all of that because 20 some years of knowledge. And, you know, if you combine that knowledge, you're looking at a hundred plus years, um, is, is exceptional in this day and age. Definitely. Massively a hundred percent. Thank you so much for that, Jackie.
Um, Steve, I know we've not come to yourself yet, but I know you work within data. Can you explain what it is that, that you do on a day-to-day basis for us? Yeah, so um, I think it's probably a key point to say, um, you know, listening to everyone um, and they're up, what they've kind of provided is it's data is really, really dependent on how successful those, you know, the team is and what they're doing in their work streams. Um, it's, it's really, it's you know, in terms of the data and what we're trying to do, we, you know, we're in essence, we're migrating from one system to another. We're taking data out of one, we're putting it into the new one. And can we find it? And have we made sure no no patient or no record has been, has been left behind? And a lot of trusts, you know, kind of focus solely on, not solely, that's not fair, but they do focus on them making the system fit the benefits of what they're trying to realize and also um making sure it's clinically safe and operationally useful um there is that bit where data becomes kind of lost in there a little bit in terms of how successful that can be and there are challenges obviously to to other projects that have happened and really it's about um trying to make sure that if we migrate data we can migrate it and we can find it if we functionally test we can find the data points that we need to to say yes we can use this new system and then it's making sure that everything that's there allows the hospital to operate from an insight-driven position, which you need your data for. And that's whether that's performance, financial, you know, regulatory or, or clinically safe and, and you know, patient um, experience. So it's a really key point. And what you find is a lot of times they get, you know, a lot of that development and structure right, but the data is the bit that isn't quite tested as rigorously as you need it to be. Um, and that's where you, you you have this long line of trying to get back to a, a place that you were pre pre migration, and um, the complexity of that is things like a data warehouse, things like the structures that you're moving to and from. Um, data warehouses and sources are are often you know inherited within the infrastructure for a period of time. A lot of history's gone into it, a lot of development, a lot of hard coding. Um, structures change over time because local or, in, uh, or internal changes. So it's a really complex thing and it becomes easier when you have successful working relationships with your whole program and that, that whole program has successful working relationships with all the key stakeholders, including the supplier and including, you know, the, the kind of, uh, the people that are making decisions. So it's a, it's a tough one. Um, it's a, it's one that we're trying to always mitigate any any kind of legacy problem to move forward um, from and, and be assured as, as we as we migrate. Perfect. Thanks so much, Steve. I think obviously we've been able to have a little bit of an insight into each and every one of you and how important it is to have you all a part of the team. I just want to open it up and just say, is there anything else we think is important to know as we, we hear about what it is that makes a good, strong EPR project team? I think just from from my perspective, probably what I didn't touch on previously um, it, it then was when we do the mic, when we do anything data related, as as with any part of an EPR, you know, what happens at go live and cut over with your data is equally important of what you've done before that as you build up to it. Having strong reporting strategy post go live um, because you won't have everything on day one. You know, it's very rare you have everything on day one. So you have to understand what um, moving forward looks like in terms of what we can achieve, you know, what we can be assure people of and how we build up to a normal state. And I think that's really a key point is is, is, is making sure that not only you think about what you're, you know, I have a strong relationship with, with, with the testing workstream. I have to. Um, they keep me in check. I keep them in check. And it's that kind of balance we need. But I also then need to make sure that the moving forward, the reporting 
um, for the for the hospital organization is stable and reflective of what they're doing. And that post-go-life um, strategy is equally as important as what we plan beforehand. Just to, just to come in, so clinical safety, I think, is a really key um, work stream um, for any EPR go-live. Um, so it kind of takes um, statuses from each of the, the kind of build work streams, if you like, um, to assure itself that actually we've got a safe system um, to go live. So part of that is making sure that we're very clear in terms of what is the critical criteria that is needed to be uh, met um, pre-go live. Um, so that's kind of, that sits across all the, all the other work streams. And um, so it is kind of going back to those like relationships. So really key and um, working with each of the the project managers just to understand kind of where, where we are um, to assure ourselves that actually we've done our due diligence and we're in a place where actually we've, we can sign off our clinical safety case um, from a, a, a perspective and kind of move towards a, a go live. So I think that's a really key area. Another one would be our back, making sure. So I know some organizations have uh, hit um, trouble water um, when they've kind of not really um, looked at their architecture for um, our back and making sure that patient data is only um, viewable by um, relevant people to their job role. Um, so again, I think that's really, really key to get that correct. Um, and test that uh, prior to um, any go live. I think uh, continuing Charlotte's thought about the clinic, clinical safety there, you know, for systems like theatres and systems like EPMA, uh, the, the testing has got to be really rigorous on those and, and they've got to have a strong focus. So however many drugs and dose streams there are, they've got to be looked at by people who know and understand them to test them. But I, I think it can't just stay there. The focus is always on the clinical safety to go live. But once you go live, you could relax thinking, job done. But actually, you're only really just starting with the, with the new uh, EPR and that stabilization and recognizing that data quality needs to be well curated in the uh, the weeks and months following that go live just to check out that it's still increasing and we know where the strengths and weaknesses of that data are. I think just to jump in actually that's a it's a, it's a good point there and I think um, just sort of circling back around to the data point is obviously there is um, most of what we do is defining you know a new, a new EPR and how it's going to work within the organization and the success of that is people process and and you know and system and the flow and how well that's documented and people are, are trained because um, as you go live, as you cut over there, there are, you know, the expectations of being able to still fulfill, you know, reporting duties at a national and regional level, um, where actually you are, you have new working ways, you know, from across the organization, you know, different within services. And actually what you'll see is a potential reduction in activity while everyone's kind of working to a new way uh, a new new process, a new flow, and actually it's been there to be able to manage and support you know that change with them and for them um, as equally as important because that ultimately be where they come back to a, an optimized position and and have to demonstrate assurance with the data and, and the grip of control. So 
it very much kind of all that fits in you know really concisely into um what we're trying to achieve as a strong pro you know program and wrap and the governance that we put in place thanks steve i saw your hand go up there louise if we can come to you next oh, thank you no just just something to add and obviously going from um melissa's point of listening and you know it, it is incredibly important to listen um you know i, I find that the team are you know, members of the team, we're, we're not ashamed to admit when we come across an issue, maybe that we've not experienced before. Um, I see that as a positive because it's really important as it's recognised immediately by us. It's focused and it's mastered with determination and hard work of all involved. So we're, we're pretty much, we are all in this together. And the key is to ensure that learning is, is not only obtained and, and learned, but it's also shared as well because it could actually help um, somebody else on another program or somebody in the wider organisation. It's always good to share that advice and learning and experience. It's a nice segue there to me, Bev. Is that right if I jump in? Because about learning, I think so. One of the things for me, I think, is training is key. The approach to training as well. So the the routes to training in terms of mapping out the window for opportunity, today, for example, and of uh, training around operational uh, need and pressures. So tailoring it to the landscape of where you're working is 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 a, a really key point or part of. Um, successful epr there's lots go, goes into that it's not just like mapping out the endpoint there's things like patient journeys universal pathways building of the training lesson tra training plans and lesson plans training videos e-learning so there's there's lots of key parts to it and all of it needs to be tailored to your audience and the organization as a whole uh, it involves sort of significant i'd say um buy-in of key stakeholders so people like digital nurses divisional divisional directors and that's all a collaborative process and with, with all of that together, if you get it right, you'll have a successful training program. That's one of the things that I think is, is absolutely key uh, because it will it alleviates things like anxiety among staff. You know, with this, they're, they're already working. They've got you know, BAU and everything else going on. So having to learn something else on top of that. Sorry, Bev. No, it's okay. Thanks, Kim. Um, one of the most important things, um, the NHS is very giving with funding in supporting um, NHS trusts, which the with projects, uh, one of their asks is that we monitor benefits just to understand what the money is spent on, what would it be used for, is there a need for that funding, and how can we evidence-base what that funding has been spent on. So part of what I'm doing here at the Trust is um, looking at the benefits realisation of the um, of the system that we are um, implementing at the moment. Some trusts seem to forget about this right at the beginning. If you don't baseline um, the how they, they're currently working, this is where the as-is process is really key when the B, BCAs come in. In looking how they're currently working, document that, and then going to the informatics teams within trust, getting the data, baselining data, so we know what we're starting with then looking at how the project managers are working on the system and with work with the supplier, um, taking out as much benefits, getting as much information as we can on what changes will be in the new system, documenting that and also working with the organisations and the project managers to see what changes that we can measure and what we are cash releasing, non-cash releasing, qualitative, quantitative. So it's really important, that is very important at the very beginning because it would add on time to the end if we if we haven't done that process. So the benefits piece of work is quite key at the front and the back end of a project. 
Thanks, Bev. Thanks really much for that insight as well. Um, Kim, I saw your hand come back up there. It did, yeah, because I, I thought of something. It was a question you asked earlier about like a, a key um, personality trait or whatever it was to a successful project manager or something. But I, I kind of I wanted to raise, and it only just struck me now as I was like looking at everybody on the screen, is that nobody on the, our on this team has has an ego, and it like genuinely like n nobody on the team is is above anything else. And it's something like in a normal team, you might get one person that's like Charlotte or like John, and that's you know approachable. And he, no, no, it's genuinely like you see Charlotte laughing, but they might get one person who's like who's decent and you can approach and isn't going to be odd with you. But on this team, everybody, I've said it a few times, so I think I've said it for yourself as well, Kevin, Jackie's done a really good job of getting a good group of people together that all help each other out. Like, you know, when you hit a blocker, I'm, I can go to anybody and will get help, anybody on this team. And people have genuinely, like Louise, Melissa, Bev, everybody's reached out to go, look, don't worry, this is the route through it. This is this will help you out. And it's, it's just a really great team. It's a really nice bunch of people. Yeah, so... I think one of the things is, you know, we have an eight o'clock call every day. You know, you don't have to turn up. You, you can turn up if you want to. But it, the reason why we set that up is it's just a point in time every day where you can turn up and say, I had a really good day yesterday or I had a really bad day yesterday and this is what's gone wrong. And sometimes saying it out loud helps, but we all live and breathe with the pressures of projects and work streams and how to fit them in a timeline that suits and how they impact each other. So everyone on this call, um, their projects interlink, you know, we all impact data migration and testing. Uh, and I think Steve's probably on his ninth, 10th iteration of a project plan. Um, and it, and it's great because we can challenge each other to say, you know, bring that timeline in if you can. Um, and sometimes you have to lay down a timeline when, you know, it's going against you. One of the things I would say that we were all absolutely cast iron on is let the data do the timeline for you, because it's not about the people, whether, you know, we can drag our feet and all the rest of it, but if the data and the systems really play a tech play against you you have to let the timeline work for that as well. And I think the pressures that trust put upon each, each other is cost, time, you know, effort, people. Um, but sometimes being very bold and very brave to say, stop, we can't go live. And because if we do, it's going to have a detrimental effect on us um, is actually a really challenging position to be in. And I commend those who do do it um, but it is probably the right thing to do sometimes. Um, and that's when, you know, we all go into turnaround situations many times and help them, you know, a nice build, nice new build is a utopia that we all want. It's not often the case. Um, so I guess in some ways coming together every day to say what went right and what went wrong is, is a nice position to be in. And I think that's what helps to build the team as well. Absolutely. I think that's, um, just says it all really doesn't it in terms of what an EPR project team should um, look like to be successful oh no but I do think that comes it sums it up nicely to end on at that point from Jackie there unless there is anything else anyone else would like to add at all just to come to a close at all. No, it's been really good thank you so it's, it's been really good just obviously be, being what I, what I find important to obviously echo in what, what Jackie mentioned there is um, obviously not only honest where you are in, in, in a programme and on a project, but being honest with each other in the team. 
and, and having that transparency about, you know, and understanding each other's workloads and how it can impact and how it can be a dependency on other work streams. It's that cross-functional understanding of everything needs to work together. And, and if, you know, if it's struggling, let's help, you know, let, let's, um, let's see what we can do to help each other. Um, yeah, that's, that's all from me. I'm going to be quiet now. <laughs> Thanks for that, Louise. Thank you. Amazing. Um, I think it's been absolutely a, a perfect podcasting, given that insight to what an EPR project team is and should look like to, you know, to bring that successful all round up for us. Um, so I just want to say again, thank you for all coming and taking the time out today. I do think it's been a really good one and it will be successful going forward for, for everyone involved. Um, so just to highlight you all again, Jackie, Kim, Charlotte, Melissa, Louise, Bev, John and Steve, thank you very much for joining us on today's podcast. If you are hiring for new technical roles or looking for a new role, feel free to get in touch with us here at Evolution. Or if you or anyone you know would like to be featured on a future podcast, you can drop me a message too. I am Carrigan Thompson and you can find me on LinkedIn where you'll find my contact details there too. Or visit us at evolutionjobs.com forward slash UK forward slash NHS. Thanks again to all of our guests and thank you for listening. We hope you can join us next time.